The show's guest, Austin Peterson, is a registered representative of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation, a broker-dealer member SIPC, and registered investment advisor. The views expressed by Austin are not necessarily the views of Lincoln Financial Advisors. The most basic information I could give to anybody is live on 80% of what you make. No matter what that is, from the time that you're making money, whether it's right out of college or out of trade school or whatever it is that you start your own business, live on 80% of what you make. And if you take that 20% and you split it up, whatever's appropriate for you between investments, long-term retirement planning, and maybe giving to a charity that's important to you, your church, whatever, if you're living on 80% of your income and you continually make good financial decisions with the other 20%, you're never gonna have to worry about money ever, and you will reach that financial independence that you're looking for, likely at a younger age than the typical retirement age of 65. Welcome to episode 148 of the AFT Construction Podcast. And today we have co-founder financial planner, Austin Peterson of Backbone Planning Partners. And he's also co-host of the Tycoon Small Biz Podcast. Um, And it was amazing to have Austin on. This is a topic that we have not addressed on our platform in the last two years. And it's really about understanding not only personal money management, but also business, why you should have a consultant in the financial planning for your business as well as personal. And again, we speak about everything from credit cards to investments and Roth, uh, you know, 401k, RAs, as well as just understanding exit strategy. How do you pay your executives? You know, what's that structure like? And just a lot of sound advice that Austin has having worked in the industry and how that's so beneficial for us as business owners that a lot of us focus on the the craft, on what we do as a as our scope of work, but we don't focus enough on the business, on the systems, on the financial side. So without further ado, let's get started. This past May, we had an amazing Contractor Coalition Summit. This was in Nashville with Nick Schiffer from Menace Builders and Morgan Molitor from Construction to Style out of Minnesota. And we are now up for our second round of the Contractor Coalition Summit that'll be in Huntington Beach from Sunday, November 6th through Wednesday, November 9th. Go to ContractorCoalitionSummit.com, sign up, register. We have some amazing partners that'll be there sponsoring the event, amazing attendees that have already signed up. It's limited seating. We're only allowing 30 to attend. And again, this will be all things pricing, profitability, contracting, client expectations, scheduling, and of course, marketing and social media. Everything that we wish we knew in our business from the very beginning is all going to be wrapped up into just a couple of days. So we'll see you there in Huntington Beach in November. So welcome to the podcast today. We have uh, Austin Peterson with us, and I was actually fortunate to be a guest on your podcast. So you were. fellow podcaster, and Austin has the podcast. Uh, he's co-host of Tycoons of Small Biz, and he's also a co-founder and financial planner with Backbone. Uh, planning partners. And so, you know, this is, a, I think, something that's often overlooked. And I've never had anyone on the podcast to speak about the financial side, right? And so when we talk about financial, you know, we'll get into your background a little bit more into this, awesome. But essentially, like, what is the importance of financial independence? I mean, I think it's crucial nowadays, right? I mean, guys that are my age or your age, you know, younger for sure, I, there's a lot of talk about, you know, whether or not social security is going to be there, for example. Right. And and I think, you know, my parents who were retired, my wife's parents who were retired, they're receiving social security and it's, it, it may not be all that they need, but it's at least, you know, close. They can live off of it potentially. Um, I don't see that being the case for us. Right. Um, I don't think it's going away. A lot of people think that Social Security may not be around at all by the time they get there, but I think they're going to make some adjustments to it. The benefits are going to be less. Uh, they're going to delay them even further because most people don't realize Social Security was actually set up as what was called longevity insurance. And so it started at age 65 because most people weren't living to age Very 65. Much longer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so it was meant to help people to have money to live if they lived beyond age 65. Well, People are living well beyond age 65 now, and so it uh, it's causing a strain on the program because it wasn't really meant to be a pension for all Americans. Yeah, and that's it's a good point because my understanding, especially when I think I think in college we had talked about this, is that yeah, when when it started, you know, way back when, and was it in the around the Depression when it started, or yeah, essentially in like 1920s, 30s, 
And that was the goal is that like you're trying to give someone a little lifeline there for a few years, you know, when you get to that age where it's a little bit more difficult to work. And especially back then where it was a lot more like warehouse or factory driven, right? It's not like today yep. where there's other avenues, whether, you know, real estate or tech or computer. I mean, there's a lot of different avenues to make a living now. But um, but as you mentioned, people are living longer. You know, I look now how healthy for a lot of people are in their 60s. I mean, they're still active. They're out playing golf. They're, you know, a lot of my yeah. clients are building homes at that age right now. And so yeah. social security is not going to go very far. I mean, that's why it's something really important that we think about. And, you know, it's it's hard. You know, what advice do you give before we get into the business side? Because I know this has a lot of application for business, what you work with Austin. But as an individual, how do you consult like a young person? Because understanding, you know, 401k or Roth IRAs and some of these investment opportunities at a young age can be hugely monumental if they're doing it. But it's hard to have the wherewithal or the knowledge or the discipline, if you will, to put some money away early on. Yeah, I think that's actually what it comes down to is it, it has to be that self-discipline, right? I mean, it, it's funny when it, whether I'm going through security at an airport or I'm in an Uber or something like that and, and they ask me what I do for a living and I tell them, the first question is, what kind of advice would you give to a guy who's in, you know, my spot, who's in their mid twenties or, you know, whatever. And the most basic information I could give to anybody is live on 80% of what you make, no matter what that is from the time that you're making money, whether it's right out of college or out of trade school or whatever it is that you're, you start your own business, live on 80% of what you make. And if you, if you take that 20% and you split it up, whatever's appropriate for you between you know, investments, long-term retirement planning, and maybe giving to a charity that's important to you, your church, whatever. If you're living on 80% of your income and you continually make good financial decisions with the other 20%, you're never going to have to worry about money ever. And you will reach that, that financial independence that you're looking for, likely at a younger age than the typical retirement age of 65. It's such sound advice. And, uh, you know, one of my early mentors had the same 80-20 split. He had told me that. And uh, I wish I had listened, <laughs> you know, when I was super young, especially coming out of college. But, you know, why, in your opinion, and maybe this is a sidetrack from the conversation right now, but, you know, at this age, you and I understand this a little bit more. We're, you know, running businesses. You're consulting with businesses and, you know, individuals and, and helping them. Why does our education system like here not spend a lot of time on that in high school, college to prepare people to really understand, you know, credit cards? Because there's benefits to credit cards. Like I, yeah. I, I use them. There's a ton of benefits, but at the same time, it could be a huge issue, you know, if people don't understand, you know, the money management side. Yeah. I mean, I wish I knew the answer to why, to be honest with you. I, I think that it's something that needs to change. There, there needs to be a class in high school for sure, definitely in college, uh, just the basics of, of personal finance, right? Because you got these, these students, and I, I've got a son who's one year away from graduating from Arizona State, and I remember going to orientation with him and, you know, showing up, getting your ID card and, and all those sorts of things. And they're, they're wanting you to set up a bank account with the bank that they're affiliated with as a university and they're offering credit cards. And I'm thinking, well, wait a minute, you know, most of these kids that are showing up, many of them without a parent are just going to sign up for that. Cause why, you know, why not get a credit card? That sounds awesome to me. Right. Um, and you've got lots of kids that are coming out of college, whether it's student loan debt or credit card debt or both. And they have no idea what that means to them in the future. They don't know how to use a credit card responsibly, right? And, I, and I'm actually going through this with both of my kids today. So 22 and 19, they both recently got their first credit cards. And we've had to have this conversation where, you know, they grew up in my household where this is what I've done their entire lives. And I felt that I had had, you know, conversations with them and they understood these things. And some of the questions that they're asking me I thought, how in the world do you not know the answer to that? And these are my kids, yeah. right? So if, if these are my kids who have grown up in a household where they hear me talking about these and, you know, I mean, teenagers kind of roll their yeah. eyes. They don't listen anyway, but uh, it, it, it makes me wonder how little everybody else knows about how this works. And you, and you see very quickly why we have a very big problem in our country with consumer and credit card debt. So what would you recommend going back to maybe the parent aspect, you know, if we start there, like. How do you have those conversations with your kids? How have you done that, you know, to address 
whether it be, you know, savings account, you know, 401k at some point when they have that opportunity with their company and they start working in credit cards, you know, how do you start having those conversations? Yeah, I think it, I think it has to start around the dinner table, right? I think it's important that parents are open with their kids about how personal finance works, right? And, and every parent's going to be a little different as to whether they're going to have a level of comfort um, of, of sharing with their kids, you know, how much money we make and showing them the actual budget, right? You don't have to do that. I think it would be great if you did, but maybe you just use, you know, dummy numbers or whatever, but, um, or use percentages, for example, right? Mm -hmm. And so you can say, if we've got 100% coming in, 27% of that goes to our home mortgage. And, you know, right. you start to break down to for Car them. Car payment and right. food and, you know, utilities, all the things that, that are part of that. Yeah. So they so they start to understand where all of the money's going, right? Because specifically with teenagers, you know, they're always, well, you know, the neighbors down the street just went to Greece for two weeks. And, you know, <laughs> I know, Dad, why aren't we going? <laughs> exactly. Why aren't we doing that? And, you know, for me, growing up with a kid that played baseball, it was constantly, you know, I want the the four hundred dollar bat instead <laughs> of the two hundred dollar bat, right? And uh, you know, I I remember very vividly getting upset one time because he he specifically said so and so got this bat. Why you know why can't I have that bat? And I was so frustrated. I I responded and said something to the effect of, well, "Why don't you ask him how much money's in his college savings plan?" Yeah. Right. And, and it's just, it, it's one of those things where kids need to understand what you're giving up for certain things, right? If you have the most expensive shoes or the most expensive clothes compared to putting money aside for college planning for them, or, you know, even better, their, their future financial independence, right? Cause we can, I mean, you're a business owner. You can, you can employ your kids if you wanted to and start to put money in Roth IRAs for them at a very young age. And, and, the power of compound interest is something that's just not understood by most people. And, and the reality is, so have you heard of the rule of 72? I have not. Okay. So the rule of 72 is if you take whatever interest rate you assume that you're going to get, right? And a safe number, if you're in, your, you know, if you're in kind of a growth portfolio uh, long-term is about 8%, right? So if you divide eight into 72, that tells you how many years it takes for your money to double, right? So think about if you've got a kid who's 15 years old and is going to retire in 50 years, right? Every nine years, their money is going to double. So let's say you put $6,000 into a Roth IRA for them today. In 50 years, you've got, let's, let's say it's 54 to make it divisible yeah, into make nine, it right? Six times. <clears throat> so their money's going to double six times over those, over those 54 years. Well, people don't think about what that means. That goes from six to 12, to 12, to 24, to 48, to 96, to 192, to then almost $400,000, right? So a hundred and what is that? 384. Yeah. So you do better math in your head than me. So, <laughs> but 384,000 and all you did was put $6,000 into their Roth IRA when they were 15 years old. Right. I mean, that, that's that's the power of compound interest right there. And obviously, if you continue to contribute and put that amount in every single year, you can see what that's going to lead to. It's going to lead to millions and millions of dollars over their lifetime. It's incredible. I've, I've never heard that. And, you know, I never thought about that aspect. And I've seen through TikTok, right? It's funny, TikTok of all things, right? Yeah. And there's a financial guy who had talked about this that you can put, you know, the IRS and government will allow you a certain amount that you can put in for your kids and stuff. So how does that work? I mean, you know, when you talk about that, you, your kids can start with a Roth IRA, you know, do you recommend your clients do that, especially like business owners? Yeah. I mean, honestly, there's, there's two investments that I think are the best overall. And, and one of them I think would shock most people to think about, but Roth IRA is the first, right? Roth IRA is where you should always start. The reality is most business owners are going to get to a point where they make too much money to qualify for a Roth IRA. And there still are ways to get money into a Roth IRA, but you just have to be strategic about, about how you do that. And walk through real quick what a Roth IRA is for those listening. Yeah. So there, there's, it's really you know, baked into the Internal Revenue Code, but, but a Roth IRA is a, an individual retirement arrangement is what IRA stands for. And Roth is for the person who actually proposed this in, in Congress. His name was Charles Roth. And 
The difference between a traditional IRA and a Roth IRA is that a Roth IRA is tax-free upon withdrawal. And so your contributions are after-tax dollars, but all of the growth that we just talked about, $6,000 going to $384,000 or $382,000, I think is the actual, $392,000 is the actual math. But um, it, all of that is able to be withdrawn tax-free in retirement. So that, you know, you've got the power of compound interest plus not having to pay any taxes on it. So that's that's why the first place that anybody should be saving for retirement is is a Roth IRA. And it's it's interesting you bring that up because as, you know, to be transparent here, I mean, I didn't even know about this until later in my career life, right? That the, you know, I'd always been top 401k, so the employee I worked for out of college, you know, they had an employee match, which some do. Yep. So I was putting a little bit in there, you know, and it's just like a normal 401k. Uh, you know, but I wasn't looking at it that it's pre-tax, so you know they're taking it out, but not realizing that at some point that's tax, right? That yep. compound interest, as you mentioned, but the Roth IRA, and 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 really to break that down, when I get my paycheck, let's say my paycheck's four hundred dollars after taxes, then I take a hundred of that and put in a Roth IRA. Now that's going to be compounding it tax-free, and that's the benefit. And really, you know, understand the Roth IRA, and to my understanding, there's a limit, right? Isn't like around nineteen thousand, or is there a limit that? people can put into the Roth IRA or does it depend on salary? Well, yeah. Roth IRA, the limit is actually $6,000. $6, it might be 6,500 now with the the increase that they had this year, but it's it's less than that. The 401k is probably what you're thinking about because okay. that's about 20,000 a year. So the 401k yeah. is about 20,000, but the Roth, you can do about 6,000, but still yeah. everyone should do a hundred percent towards the Roth and then maybe the difference into like a 401k or another investment strategy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what's actually great nowadays is you're seeing more and more 401ks offer a Roth option. And so you can choose to put your contributions in after tax from your paycheck as well. And they're starting to put legislation in place to where and allow employers to do their matches as Roth matches, because to this point, it's actually been traditional matches, pre-tax matches on the employer side. That's amazing. So these are just questions employees should be asking their employer, you know, what options they have for the Roth or the 401k in general. Yeah. I, I mean, they, they really need to be talking to the benefits person at their, mm -hmm. at their employer to make sure they understand what their options are. And, and the reality is if, if they're not having an education meeting at least once a year by the advisor that manages the 401k for the employer, they should be asking why they're not getting that. And if benefits people are listening and they're not getting that from the advisor for their plan, they should be looking at having somebody else service that plan for them because that's what the advisor's job is for the 401k is to show up at least once a year and do an education meeting with the employees to explain some of the things that we're talking about here, the power of compound interest, the reason to put money in on a regular basis, the way that the stock market works, the way that you plan for retirement. It's still basic information, but they should be receiving that education once a year and then and then giving those employees an opportunity to ask questions about their own personal financial situation as well. Well, it's interesting because as a business owner, as I listen to this, you know, some of these things, you know, we figured out you and I, you know, running a business and going through personal finance. But even with my own team, you know, we, we, till we're blue in the face could say, make sure you guys are investing in your 401k, take advantage of the company match. Right. But at the end of the day, without walking through, and I'm trying to think if we've actually dove into like Roth IRA and really like put that up on say a whiteboard to say, Hey guys, just look at this 6,000. I know everyone, inflation, and we're dealing with costs, and everyone has, you know, they're trying to put food on your plate. We understand that aspect, but, you know, the value of that. And that's something where maybe as as business owners that we should also educate our team a little bit more with our, you know, HR, financial advisors as they come in, you know, yeah. so that way they're getting all that information. Yeah. I mean, business owners shouldn't have to go it alone, right? I mean, every business owner should have a strong financial advisor that they're working with personally. Um, as well as the one who's, you know, it might be the same person, it might be separate, but whoever's whoever's running the 401k plan for the business should be involved in helping you to educate your employees. Now, with the children, if you have children and you're running a business, is there a limit that you can put in or invest or pay your children, even if they're not technically working, you know, legally? Yeah. So, I mean, that's really a CPA question based on the way that you're your business is set up and they'll be able to kind of advise you as to what is appropriate and okay, right? Because there are rules and guidelines as to what your kids can do. And and if you get audited, you do have to be able to <laughs> prove that they're, they're doing something to earn that money, yeah. right? But it is a real powerful way to give the kids early access to some funds later on. 
by by having them, you know, clean up around the office or whatever to earn some money, and then you're putting money in into their into their Roth IRA for them on their behalf. And it's interesting. I mean, when we spoke about this a little bit earlier, but we're talking about credit cards. You know, I was fortunate. Uh, I'll give some credit to my mom. My mom was really big, even when I was young. When I was 16, she had, you know, I was working. My uh, my uncles had an electrical company. They took over for my grandpa. So I was working as an electrician in San Diego. And so I was getting a paycheck and stuff, and my mom had me get a credit card. And, you know, this is pre-computers. Yeah. Where now you can track everything. So, like, we had, like, a ledger, you know, and she showed me how to, like, you know, track everything. And really, her, her whole thing was, like, when you use a credit card, you know, it's building credit. She was teaching me about building credit and, you know, preparing for at some point buying a car or house, you know, later on in life. Yep. So at 16, I was earning credit, which was really incredible. But the way she did it is she's like, hey, at least at the time, she said, Brad, when you use your credit card, imagine it like a debit card. Like, so when you charge $100, I'd go on my ledger and I'd subtract 100 you know, so the money wasn't there, you know. Yep. And, and, you know, that's I'm sure for you. I mean, this is like one-on-one, right? Like standard stuff as you're coaching this. But I think the benefit of the credit card, you know, and this is something actually in a, I took a class in college. And he said one thing that really stuck out to me. I remember him talking about credit cards and debit cards. And he said, you know, the thing you have to understand with credit cards is these credit card companies have lawyers everywhere. I mean, the, the, the legal team. And what that means for you as the consumer is that one of the perks is if your card is stolen or lost or fraud and people are charging stuff. And I've, all of us have had this happen to us. You make one phone call and you say, this is not, there's a fraudulent charge and they take it off your account and they're fighting that with all your lawyers yep. and you have nothing to worry about. If it's your debit card and someone takes thousand dollars cash out, well, now you're in trouble because now you're fighting that battle and you're making the phone calls and doing that. Yep. And so he's all just that alone, right? That you don't have the headache. And then you could talk about points and travel, as you mentioned, and you know, just the other company benefits you can leverage if you're using credit cards, you know, where, where you can. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, kudos to your mom having that, having that conversation with you and teaching you that. And like you said, it, it actually, the fact that you used a ledger like that would be probably beneficial today because now it's all digital, but that has its drawbacks, mm -hmm. right? And so you're, nobody keeps a check register anymore. No. Nobody does any of that kind of stuff. And so, you know, I think it, I think about my own kids and I've, I've had this conversation where exactly like what your mom said, where you have to treat that as though it's money that came out of your bank account, but it's harder to do that when they're not keeping a check register. Yeah, you they're don't not... have anything tangible that you're writing on. Exactly. And so, you know, my, my son actually with his first month, all of a sudden the statement came out, there was a <laughs> statement balance and, and he, he was prepared to pay it. That wasn't the issue. It was he waited too long, right? Because I, I said that, you know, the point is you, ideally you want that to show a zero balance every single month because you paid the, the full balance before the statement came out. And he didn't quite get that the first month. And so, you know, it wasn't a big deal. I mean, his statement balance showed, I think, $180 on a $1,000 line of credit, right? right? And so it's not, that it's not necessarily going to negatively affect his credit score. But I said, you know, you, you've got to be paying that balance every single month and at the very least 90% of that of that credit should always be available as far as the balance is concerned that's where you're going to get the best boost to your credit score right and the other thing that I did with with my kids and I would recommend this to anybody for for a credit building uh, from a credit building standpoint is if if you're going to have them driving a car why not put a loan on that car? Even if you own it outright, put a loan on that car that you guys own jointly. And, you know, you're going to have to co-sign because they're mm -hmm. not going to qualify for, for a car on their own, but that allows them to start to build credit on their own as well. And so both of my kids have car loans that are, you know, I'm, I'm the co-signer on as well, but that's allowing them to start to, to build their own credit because by the time you get ready to buy a house, you have to have at least three open lines of, of credit at that point. And car and a credit card is only two, so they're probably going to need another credit card at some point. But they have to be able, they have to be using it responsibly. And that's then going to show a mortgage company that they're responsible enough to take on a large credit line at that point to buy a house. That's brilliant. I've never heard that. And I think that's, that resonates. You know, I have a lot of kids. And so to think about that, that even if you have a family car, and whether you're buying a used car for them to drive or you're having a family one, you're taking out a load against it, as you mentioned. But that's 
that's huge advantage because if they're making the car payment, they're working and now have a job, you know, as you mentioned, it's going to start building credit for them at a young age. Yeah. Builds credit, but it also helps them to understand the responsibility of making payments on a regular basis and what that takes and, and what to plan for. They start to understand, you know, maintenance on a vehicle, getting the oils, the oil change, getting car washes, all those sorts of things. And so I'll actually give you one more that, you know, this is, this is the one step further that I took with my kids. So we, we'd been saving for college for them their whole lives in a 529 plan. If you don't know what a 529 plan is, you, you should. Um, and, and it's not just for college, right? It can be used for private school. It can be used for trade school. It can be used for a lot of different things. They've, they've kind of really opened that up. But I told my kids all along, look, I, I've, I'm saving enough money for you to go to this type of school. If you want to go to an Ivy League school or whatever, then, you know, first of all, it's tough to get into. You got to work really hard to get into those types of schools anyway. But this is this is what I'm saving for you to be able to go. And so beyond that, you may have to get you may have to get loans. But here's the flip side to that. If you work really hard during school and you get good grades and you qualify for scholarships instead and you don't need the money that I've saved, there's flexibility inside of a 529 plan for transportation and different things like that. And so if you get scholarships, then I'll use that money instead to help you buy a car and I'll pay for, for half of the car or whatever at that point. And so that's exactly what we're doing right now is money's coming out of their 529 plan to pay my half of the car payment. And then they're paying the, their half of the car payment because both of my kids came out of school with good grades and, and were able to, to do that. It's brilliant. I mean, I love that. And, and, and really what you're doing is you're teaching them that not just the autonomy, but then also th there's a budget aspect to that because early on you had the 80-20 plan where you needed to save 20%. But if you're having them think about this that okay, it's one thing to say mom and dad are figuring out college and we know how expensive that can be. But if I now understand that there's um, uh, some financial wherewithal for me personally, that if I'm a good steward and I'm working hard, I'm getting scholarships and I'm responsible and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm lowering the cost here that there's a benefit now. Right. Yep. And so it also teaches them that, Hey, there's, you know, there's, there's a work ethic involved that they can also be the recipient of this yep. by putting forth that effort, which is pretty neat. Yeah. And the, and the reward for them is that they get to drive a little bit nicer car than they, than they otherwise would, would have. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or, or even maybe not have a car. <laughs> right. Like exactly. Like many in college. Yeah. So, and, and you mentioned this a little bit when you're speaking with your kids going through a budget and maybe you don't show them like your entire, um, Cost, but I I, th I think life's funny this way, and what I mean by that is when I was you know when you're a teenager you think you know everything you know I thought I knew everything as a kid, you know I was tough on my parents I was really hard on them, and then I became a parent and it's like immediately the first thing I do I call my parents like apologizing right because I'm <laughs> yeah. like it was just so difficult and then you're trying to figure out how to run a household and pay for things and you know I remember being away at college the first time and I'm having to buy like toilet paper and paper towels and I'm like. I don't want to spend money on that. Like I need to buy food or whatever, you know? <laughs> and so you kind of have this realization, but I apply that to business too, because, you know, a lot of times as in business, as an employee, especially being green out of college, you know, I'm working and I'm just thinking I'm being paid X per hour or here's my salary and it's not great, you know, and I'm thinking all oh, the company's making all this money and I'm not getting very much. And it's kind of that same thing as like, I, I, the analogy I use is the same thing, teenager to a parent, right? But it's the same thing as a business, business employee to an employer. Then all of a sudden when you're the employer, you realize, well, you, they have the salary, but, you know, you have the health insurance and you have, you know, all the taxes you pay and you have the cell phone and you have, you know, all the overhead that goes. So you may be paying yep. someone, let's just say that their salary is 75000 but their cost could be 110000 to me. Yep. And so how do you recommend... You know, do you recommend that employers sit down with their employees and, and, you know, how transparent should they be to help them? Because there's always that disconnect where employees maybe don't think they make enough without realizing what their actual cost is to the company. Yeah. I mean, it, it does come down to communication the same way that you would with your own kid. Um, I think that that can be beneficial. I've never, I've never had that particular conversation with a business owner, to be honest with you, but as a business owner, um, I've had that conversation with my management team, right? And so right now I own a business separate from the financial planning company as well. And I recently, just yesterday, actually had this conversation with the manager, the general manager of this company that really kind of runs the day-to-day -day for me. And one of our employees is, is looking for a raise. And honestly, with inflation, I don't, I don't blame right. 
him for for wanting that raise and and it's been a year since he had a raise so it's not like it's out of the blue or crazy but um a year ago when we had the last raise we we had an employee meeting and I actually ran the the meeting cuz I was in town for it and I said I said I don't think you guys are thinking through all of this right cuz the reality is you're going out and you're delivering these goods that we're selling to to these customers and you're the one who's there collecting the payment for those goods right and you may be collecting a $1500 payment for the client for what you just delivered to them and you're thinking well that's as much as I make a week and we just did that in one sale and we're doing six of those in a day and so gosh you know Austin and and you know his <laughs> manager just raking, just raking it, in, it in yeah you know <laughs> and I said let me kind of break some things down for you I said what what you're not thinking about is obviously yes I do have to pay your salary but I had to buy the truck that you're delivering that in. I had to pay for the insurance that that's being delivered in. I have to pay the work comp for that, for what, you know, for you to make sure that if you get hurt, you're being taken care of. I have to pay for the warehouse space where we keep all of our inventory, right? I have to pay payroll taxes. I have to pay this, I have to pay that, you know, and I just went through kind of the whole breakdown of things. And I said, I, I don't think you're, you're understanding this. I said, look, I, I bought this business. And at that point I said, I bought this business a year ago. The reality is you think I'm raking it in. I've lost $40,000 that I've had to put in to cover the losses Personally, out of right. my own personal funds because of the inefficiencies of the way that this business is running right now. And I said, I'm not coming down on you, but you need to understand that part of those inefficiencies were the way that you guys were doing things we've cleaned everything up for you from where it was before with the prior owner to make things more easy and efficient for you. But now I need you guys to do things differently the way that I've asked you. And as time goes on and we start to make more money, everybody's going to make more money. I'm not looking to get rich here. I said, look, I own another business that takes care of my family financially and always has. But I enjoy having a separate side business for two reasons. One, because I think it keeps my skills sharp from running a, a business itself rather than a service-based business mm -hmm. here, right? And then second, I believe that it makes me a better financial planner for my clients because I You're know exactly what they're going through on a day-to-day -day basis. And so I said, that's why I own the business. It's not to make me rich. The reality is, as you guys continue to to improve and do the things that I ask you to do. And this business improves overall, everybody's going to benefit. And I think if they see it that way and don't really, you know, don't think that you're just making all kinds of money and, you know, life's good. Cause the hard part is typically the owner of a business, specifically your type of business is going to show up in a really expensive, nice truck. And they may see you one day on a Friday, you know, bringing the boat to the office before you go for the weekend. And so all they see are all these really expensive things that they don't have. And they believe that, you know, you're, you're making all kinds of money on their backs is, is the way that it's viewed, unfortunately. Right. And communication is, is key so that they understand all of the expenses that you have, but they also need to understand that you're also the one who took all the risk. This episode is brought to you by Pella Windows. When it comes to building homes at AFT, almost every project has Pella Windows. And they've been just an incredible partner of ours. And locally, Sammy and Adam, they are not only amazing business partners behind us, but they are super close friends. And I speak on the podcast all the time about the importance of relationships, right? Relationships with our customers, with our vendors, with our suppliers. Because at the end of the day, I'm only as good as those that help our brand and assist us in our projects to, to take it from the ground up all the way to completion. And if we didn't have partners such as Pella, there's no way we'd be who we are today. Over the years, we've built this amazing relationship. When we call them or email them, they respond. They're quick. Their they're company culture, their integrity, their honesty, you know, they are always there to do what's right for us and the customer. They can do anything from small replacement projects to large custom homes and even multi-million dollar commercial projects. And also, when you think about their product line, they can do ultra contemporary, historical preservation, and large traditional projects. So for anyone, any scale, any size, they're the ones to call. They're here local. You know, they have an amazing Instagram. Make sure and give them a follow to see what they're doing. So if you need windows and doors, give Sammy and Adam a call. We stand behind Pella. We love what they do, their culture, their brand, and especially their quality. And if you want to learn more about Pella Windows, check our show notes. We'll have everything tagged there so you can give them a follow and have their contact information to reach out. 
For those of you that have listened to the podcast, you know how big of a fan we are Build a Trend and that we have used this software for the last four years. And many of the guests that we brought on the podcast are also Build a Trend users. And in this day and age, with as busy as all of us are in construction, as complicated as it is with escalation pricing, lead times, tracking, organization, all of us need a good project management software to help simplify and organize our business. And there are a couple features that we love a ton about Build-A-Trend. And one is the owner portal. The other is the daily logs. And these are features that we use daily, right? Half of my clients are out of state. And as an owner, it is so imperative how we communicate with our clients, with our team, with our customers. And through Build-A-Trend, this allows us that quick connection. They can check at any time. We can communicate with them. We're up to date. This has actually helped us win jobs, win projects because of that organization, especially at pre-construction. And Build-A-Trend also offers a ton of service on the back end, training and understanding and workshops you know, to help us use our software effectively. They also have the podcast, The Building Code. To learn more, head to buildertrend.com backslash AFT to get a 60-day money-back guarantee on your Build-A-Trend account. That's 60 days to make sure you love this product with no pressure, and I know you will. Yeah. And I, th- and I think that's something that's often overlooked is, you know, and, and one thing is, as you mentioned, you know, the communication side and whatever that transparency means per company, right? It's going to be a little bit different how they communicate that with their employees. And, you know, I've seen some companies where they'll put through maybe a spreadsheet of, uh, you know, here's your salary, here's what you're making power, but here's the actual cost of yep. you, right? So I may be paying you just easy math, 20 bucks an hour, but your cost to me is 29, right? And then they yep. see that. But, um, but you mentioned risk. And I think something that a lot of us, at least I didn't realize I own a business is now the hours that I'm awake at night, right? And I'm thinking about backlog and I'm thinking about pipeline and I'm thinking, okay, yeah, my, my team is busy now and they're coming to me like, hey, we're really stressed today. And I, and I can see that. And, and you, you alluded to this on in the business. So, okay, well, how do we create systems? How do we create organization? You know, how are we going to fix some of the stuff to fix today? But, but that's only a small part of it. Like I, I do have to fix that today. But mentally I'm thinking, where's the next sale? Where's the next job? Especially for me, I'm in the fee business. I mean, you have yep. some service and fee business side of your career. And so you're always thinking about that, that, hey, you know, as, as problems arise or there could be litigation or there could be whatever, you know, all the complexity, all the risks we take, especially in construction, which is a lot, you know, I'm trying to manage that. And so it's, you know, and you're, you're trying to create an organization where they don't see the owner stressed and you have to always be positive. And that's really important just being an entrepreneur in general. It's just that positivity to know, hey, I'm going to be able to look around the corner when I get to the next phase of this. Yeah. They, they've got to be able to know that, they ha- that they're following a leader that they can count on, right? And if you look, if you don't look confident on a day-to-day basis, right, or if you look scared for any reason or, or overly stressed, then they start to worry about everything else themselves, right? Oh my gosh, am I going to lose my job? What about my paycheck? Is the business going to make it? Uh, right. The economy's slowing down potentially. Maybe we're going to go into a recession. Inflation's out of control. Do I need to be worried about my job? Do I need to be looking for another job? So, you know, all that kind of transfers over to them, which then transfers to inefficiencies in the workplace and can compound the problems overall for the business if if it's not handled the right way. And so, yeah, it, it's a delicate balance. You know, I, I tell people all the time that, you know, being an entrepreneur or owning a business is not for the faint of heart. It's not easy. Um, you know, I think we've got all these books. Somebody mentioned to me the other day um, that, you know, the four hour work week. I think it was actually my podcast recording this earlier this week. And he said, you know, you've got these books out there, the four hour work week, which is a great book. Right. And, and I love the the principles and the ideas behind it. But what happens is you've got people out there who believe that if you start a business, that you're going to be able to just work four hours a week and everything's <laughs> going to be great, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so What would that be like? I think it's the yeah. other way. I think it's more like a 400-hour work week. But. Yeah, it's, it's uh, yeah, it, it takes an awful lot of work. And, and the other thing that we talked about in that particular podcast was that, you know, there, there's so much that is not seen ahead of time by people from the outside, right? And so- everybody thinks that every business owner is an overnight success, but what they don't realize is that there was 10 years, maybe even more of them just grinding and barely making enough to take care of their families before finally all of a sudden they're, okay, there's some breathing room, there's some momentum, 
our name is is starting to be well known you know for for you guys out there you know you're starting to be to be well known as a quality builder that builds a, a great house but more so you provide great service to your clients and they feel they feel great about what you're doing for them and building their dream home so to speak right that wasn't something that happened the first month that you were in business it takes a while to get there but people only see you at the end they don't see everything that you put in to get there yeah, I think that's the hardest part. I and, and maybe that's one of the drawbacks of social media. We look at things that people that have the success or maybe they've created, you know, not everything you see is real that's out there. Yep. And uh, but to your point, you know, as a as a business owner and I, I just apply to us at AFT is that you know, we had a lot of pain points. You know, I look early on and there there was a time when, you know, 6 7 years ago, you know, after having had the business for about 3 years, and I was like, should I be doing this? Like am I cut out for this? Like <laughs> Are we going to make it? I remember telling my wife, like, I don't know. Like, I don't, you know, I I still had some employees at the time that I was really concerned for and their well-being and their livelihood. But, you know, there's that tipping point, as you mentioned, that there's there were years that even led up to this. And then there were still years that I had to build it. And, you know, we're still trying to refine things. And, yep. you know, it can be, be become discouraging, but you have to realize that, you know, what what's my end goal? Like, where am I going to? And, you know, Pierre, my Nick with NS Builders is big on this too, even outside the financial planning when he speaks about marketing. You know, a lot of us are, we know where we want to be. We're not there, but we also have to market our business to where we want to be. Yeah. And, and that way, you know, for me, if I want to build custom homes, I don't want to be marketing that I'm replacing a backsplash for somebody. And I remember someone telling me like, well, Brad, I didn't know you do that. Cause early on in our career, we do something like that. Right. Yeah. And then why don't you advertise that? And I remember thinking like, well, that's not what I want to be doing or, or I'm, my skill set's a lot. It, it's not that it's better, it's just different, different. right? This is where I yep. want to be. And so I have to market to that to really go after the ideal client. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I've I've had a lot of conversations with people in my industry over the years. And, you know, there's been this big push over the last 10 years that some of the guys who have been doing this for a really long time really push back on. And that is defining a niche for yourself, right? And so for you, it's it's custom homes, it's high-end quality homes. For us, it's that we do financial planning for business owners. Mm -hmm. And and so many people are like, well, if I just if my website says that I'm a financial planner for privately held businesses, what about the guy who doesn't own a business? And and they're so worried about that. And and the reality is we still pick up from time to time clients who are not business owners because they're referred to us by our current clients, right? But by having that defined niche, one, it does make you better, but it also it communicates clearly to your audience what it is that you do. And then it's okay to also say, well, yeah, we, I mean, yeah, we also help set up Roth IRAs for your kids if you'd like to do that, or we can help you set up a Roth IRA if, if you qualify for that. Yes, our focus is on helping the business owner build the business and, and have an eventual exit that is very, you know, successful for them. But we also do all these kinds of things along the way. The personal financial planning for the business owner and their executives is part of the overall financial planning for the business. So it does come down to communication, but you're right. You, you want to market to the business that you want, not the business that maybe you have today. Yeah. And that's so well said. From the business side, Austin, especially as you're working with businesses, is there a range, you know, because you mentioned to have at least a niche or at least, you know, I, ha I have my lane that I'm working in. For you, is it even more refined or is it pretty open to say, you know, I'd rather work with a small business of 10 employees or I'm okay working with a business of 500 employees? Yeah. So we're okay working with a business of 500 employees, but I would say that our typical client and our ideal client is somebody who owns a business that has 10 or more employees and that does five or more million in revenue. That's, that's our ideal client. Um, it, it's where we can make the most impact, right? It's not that we can't help a solopreneur or that we can't help a smaller business than that, but having a business that's larger than that, you know, the, the 5 million in revenue and, you know, about 10 employees, the, the needs are more complex. And, and that's really where we play is in the more complex scenarios, whether it's putting together executive compensation plans or, you know, professionalizing the business to where, Say, for example, a private equity group is going to be interested in acquiring your business because they see that it's a plug and play opportunity, mm -hmm. right? And so doing that sort of planning because it's more sophisticated and where our skill set lies, that's where we've chosen our niche to be and, and where we can have the most impact. 
So why should a company, a business, you know, that is in that 10 to 20 employees, you know, they're growing, they're doing a good amount of revenue. What is the benefit of having, you know, someone such as yourself, Austin, help them with their business strategies? It really comes down to uh, allowing them to do what they ultimately want to do with that business, right? And and everybody's response to that is going to be different. You know, I think of of Stephen Covey's book, Begin With The End In Mind, right? And and I'm sure that every business owner, when they start their business, has kind of their idea of what they want it to be, but it should change over time, right? And so we we got a lot of business owners who get focused on the exit, right? Well, I'm not going to sell my business for 10 years, so I don't I don't need your services. Well, the reality is you should be planning at least three to 10 years in advance of the exit, and then we're refining things along the way so that what you ultimately want to have happen is what happens. And that could be, you know, let's say for you, for example, that you've got a son that you want to be able to come into the business and take over when you retire. That's one way to exit the business, right? You may build it up to sell it to a private equity group, or, you know, we had a conversation this week with a business owner. His intention is to have an IPO. Now that's very rare, right? But if his intention is to have an IPO, then, okay, what do we need to do over the next 10 years to get you ready to have that IPO and to have that actually be possible, right? And he's at least realistic enough to know that maybe it isn't possible. Maybe it ends up being a private equity, you know, recap or something like that instead. But if you don't have a plan and you're not constantly planning on an ongoing basis and receiving advice from somebody who can help you get there, you're just not, you know, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail, right? And so it's it's just one of those things where it, it's important to have somebody who can help you along the way. As business owners, none of us know everything that, that we want to know about running our business. We may be very good in our narrow area, but the finances of the business, the, the structure of the business, what's going to be best from a tax standpoint long-term, um, all those kinds of things are, are really important to know along the way. And, and it's important for us to admit that we don't know everything that we don't know. It's really important and sound advice because you mentioned this a little bit earlier in the conversation, as well as you had talked about, you know, the executive compensation or how do you pay yourself? Because without diving into the weeds, I mean, there could be a lot of different scenarios depending on how the company's set up, how they're compensated, whether you know, they're taking a lower salary withdrawals or, or bigger salary. I mean, there's just a lot of things. And that's yep. where having a sound financial planner, you can work with them and say, this is the best strategy for your business based on revenue and based on the employee structure. Yeah. And, and I would actually even add to that and say that a business owner, whether they're structuring their own compensation or the compensation of their executive team, when that conversation's being had, your financial planner and your CPA should be in the same room with you at the same time. It shouldn't be that you structure something with your financial planner and then go to your CPA or structure something with your CPA and then go to your financial planner. That, that I think, is, is a missed art today in, in that your, your CPA, your attorney, whether it's your business attorney or estate planning attorney or both, your financial planner, all three of them should be in the same room with you at least once a year so that you guys are all rowing in the same direction, right? Because... Th- Every one of them have their area of expertise and it's important, but you got to remember it's, it's almost like a horse with blinders on where they're only looking at it through the legal lens or the tax lens, and they're not looking at the picture overall. And a financial planner, at least a good one that specializes in, in business planning, knows enough about the tax and the legal to where they can push back and say, you know, that, that, that's great. That does make sense. But if we tweak it a little bit, the overall picture ends up being better for the business owner. So logistically, and this is genius, I've never heard this, but it makes complete sense to have your CPA, your you know, financial planning for the business and possibly your personal state. You know, how logistically is that difficult to pull off to have a meeting with all all those three parties or even at least two of them? I think if everybody goes in and understands that that's the expectation, um, I will tell you that over the years, we get some pushback sometimes from the CPA or the estate planning attorney (laughs) or the business attorney and not wanting to be there at the same time, or they want to make sure that they can still bill for their time and, you know, all those sorts of things, which, which of course they should be able to to do that. Um, But I, I would say to a business owner, and I say this to my clients all the time, we, we actually just met with a new prospective client yesterday. and And I told him, I said, you need to understand that, that if you hire us, we will be the quarterback of the team. And 
we will, you've got to be okay with us saying your CPA is just not up to snuff with what we, with what we need. And if that CPA and that, and that attorney are not willing to play ball and understand that this is for the better outcome of the client, then you've probably got the wrong CPA or the wrong attorney. And so they, it's, it's not normal, right? It doesn't happen all the time. And so they're, they're a little bit guarded about it to begin with, but most of them, if they understand what it is that you're trying to get to, then, then they'll be amenable to that. And yeah, it is hard to schedule four people's, you know, schedules today at the same time, but it's definitely worth it. It's a better outcome for the business owner for sure. It's so smart. I love the analogy of the quarterback. You know, I, just as you're speaking about that, I was applying it to me pre-construction, right? It's the value you're bringing us. And the value you bring is that you're going to be the quarterback and you're going to have these frank conversations with your client, right? On to better them and their business and their, for, you, you know, where their company's forecasting. And, you know, I look at it for us, especially to be successful. And you said this early on, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail, right? And in construction, it's so key that for us in the building process, that, that pre-construction, that year before we break ground is the most crucial part. And we have to play the quarterback. We have to say, okay, architect, designer, landscape architect, possibly maybe lighting consultant, whatever these parties, we have to kind of steer and guide and make sure that we're on the same page so that when we go to break ground, we have all the information. And I've always been adamant about this. I mean, I, I, this is something that I made a mistake on early in my career is that I would start a house because the client's excited. We got the contract. We're super excited. Let's get started. Let's break ground. Let's get things moving. And Oh, uh, we don't know what paint color we have. We don't know grout, you know, which is still down the line, but we don't yeah. know. We don't know stain color of interior doors. And that comes up so fast and then it delays the project and you have issues. And what I found is that, no, we're not starting till we have it all. Yeah. And, and the client understands I'm going to bid at once. I'm going to have this information. And now a lot of our clients, even if they've been through the process, maybe just haven't heard it like this. Like you just saying, Brad, this is how you need to do it. Yeah. And if you do it this way, okay, yeah, I trust you, Austin. That's the value you bring. I'm going to rely on you and your expertise. Let's go do this and do it right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it would make no sense to to build a house and, you know, you frame the house up and then all of a sudden you have the electrician and the plumber show up on the same day and they're deciding, well, I'm, I'm going to send my, you know, I'm going to send the, the water this way and I'm going to send the <laughs> sewer this way. And, yeah. you know, uh, I think it'd be good to put a, a, an electric receptacle here. I mean, it has to be planned ahead of time. Everybody needs to know where everything's going and why, and then it all works together, right? Just like a house, the framing is what holds the house together. Financial planning is the same way as you, you've got to have that plan that holds everything together and make sure that, you know, you start with the foundation, then you put the walls up, then the second story, then the, you know, the trusses go on, all that kind of stuff. It, it's in order for a reason. And it's, it's no different with financial planning. So without getting into specifics of your business, Austin, or like financial planning, you know, if, if I'm a business owner, I'm reaching out to you, fee structure, what does that look like? Is it, you know, is it like on retainer? Is it like an hourly thing? Is it maybe a package? Maybe there's a variation of all the above. And how does that work? You know, as you're working and consulting and maybe quoting, you know, to work with a new prospective client. Yeah. So there's, there's really three different ways that we get paid, um, along the way. And first is, is a financial planning fee and that can be paid once a year. It can be paid once a quarter. It can be paid once a month. Uh, you know, spread, spread out over the year, so to, so to speak, but that is, you know, you, you use the word retainer. That's, that's kind of like a retainer. We would call it subscription based mm -hmm. planning. Right. Um, cause the, the reality is many business owners don't have much in the way of assets outside of their business. Right. right? If I had a dollar for every time a business owner tell, told me my business is my retirement plan, <laughs> I, I'd, I'd be very, I'd be very, uh, wealthy. Right. But, uh, and so because they don't have investments for us to manage, which is the way that a lot of financial professionals make their living is by charging a fee for managing investments or making commissions off of certain products that they sell, um, which is the second way that we get compensated, right? I mean, we do, we do manage investments. We sell life insurance when appropriate. We, you know, we do all those kinds of things that are, that are important along the way. We call that the implementation portion of the financial planning process. And so, you know, there is compensation there, but that upfront fee. And then that, and then the third, quite honestly, and this isn't an exchange of money in any way, shape or form, but we believe it's the most important form of our compensation. And that's, that's that our clients will introduce us to other people who have needs of our services. And, and the reason that that's so important, it's not, it's not just for us to be able to build our business, but the reality is most financial planners or financial professionals spend more than 50% of their time looking for more clients. And 
but by the way that we do it in you know our podcast, working with CPAs and estate planning attorneys, and then being referred by our own clients, that allows us to spend 5% of our time looking for new clients and 95% of our time servicing our current clients as well as seeking continuing education to make us even better at our jobs and, and to provide even better service to our clients. So it's funny you say that. So this is off topic. But the other night, um, as you're speaking about just, you know, the business development arm. So one thing I love to do, because, you know, life can be stressful. I love to watch The Office. You know, yeah. it's a great show. Yeah. And so the other night we're watching my wife and I, and there's uh, uh, the temp Ryan was going to like graduate school. And Michael Scott was like, you know, I know yeah. everything about business quiz me. And he's like, <laughs> is it cheaper to collect, retain a client or get a new one? You know, and Michael Scott, of course, has no idea. And he says it's cheaper to find a new one. But to your point. Yeah. You know, I just laugh because any of us that have been through business understand the complexity of trying to retain a client as opposed to get a new one. But business development takes a lot of time. And so that yeah. third arm that you mentioned, that referral, which of course, you know, that just shows, you know, the, the, the job that you do catering to your customers, the reason they're going to refer you. And, um, you, you know, just the podcast too, you have awesome, which is really fascinating because the, the, the tycoons of small biz, you know, you're catered to small business too. I mean, we're to divert here, I mean, we're, you're on my podcast now, but yeah, and I was on yours. But why, why the podcast? What benefit have you seen, and and why was that a passion of yours early on? Yeah, so it was actually my business partner Landon Mance who who just kept mentioning it to me. He's like, I think we should do a podcast together, and I said, How in the world are we going to find the time to do that? And and why why should we have a podcast, right? And uh, he he convinced me enough to look into it and. Oddly enough, I was invited to be on a podcast around the same time um, at Business Radio X. And so I was invited to come in and, and to, to be on a podcast. And I actually took one of my clients in with me and we were both on the podcast together. And I just took that opportunity to have a conversation with Karen, the, you know, the producer and, and owner of Phoenix Business Radio X to understand what it might look like and, and how it would be beneficial. And, and the two of us together kind of came to the conclusion that with what we do, it would actually make sense to put together a podcast that really just highlights small business owners and allows them to come in and tell their story. You know, there there are people out there in my industry, Dave Ramsey's one that everybody's I'm sure heard of, uh, Susie Orman, you know, they they do podcasts and radio programs and even TV programs. And and for me to think that I would get to that level from a podcast is is just not realistic. But having an opportunity to invite a new business owner in every single week to tell their story and to share their advice with other business owners, that was intriguing to me. Um, my partner and I are both multi-generational entrepreneurial families, right? And so we believe strongly, so much so that you know our, our practice is called Backbone Planning Partners. We believe that the backbone of the American economy is the small business owner. And so that resonated with me to where I said, you know what, that, that's a good opportunity to give them a platform. And in the back of my mind, I thought it'll probably lead to opportunities for clients as well, but that's, that's not going to be the, the whole the intent, driver, right? right? We're also not going to be pushing to try to be the next Joe Rogan. It's just about providing a good experience for the people that we invite to come in. And if we pick up some clients along the way, great. Right. And, and we literally, because we're planners, we, we laid it out and we said, I'll bet you we should set a goal to have, to have one client come of this in the first year. Right. And the, and the reality is, I don't remember if it was third, fourth, fifth, but very early on, one of our early guests ultimately ended up hiring us to do, to do their planning. And they're building a great company that's, that's going to have a very large exit in the next few years. And, and, they they rely on us heavily, and so it, it's been it's been a great experience for us to be able to meet a new business owner every single week to to hear their story, to have it inspire us, uh, and to give them you know I mean give them all of this content that they can then use in their own marketing. I think is is a phenomenal way to to kind of give back to the business owner community. Yeah, it's all relationships, as you mentioned. I mean, those relationships, and it's. Uh, just like social media, and this is just sound advice you're giving awesome, whether you have a podcast or you're on social media, whatever that is, it's, it's that non-soliciting non-sales, right? It's just, yep. you know, it, it, it's building those relationships. Here's what we offer. Here's our process. Here's what we do. And people consume that. Like that, yep. that's the benefit. You don't have to be overly salesy anymore, you know, because we have all these different platforms, you know, to just speak about, you know, the industry, if you will. 
Yeah. Well, I think, you know, I mean, all industries are kind of figuring this out, but there's still a small percentage of people in every industry that understands that it's okay to kind of uh, educate for free, so to yeah, speak. Right. right. You know, you've got plumbers, for example, who are showing you how to fix something, how to fix a toilet, how to replace the insides of the toilet, whatever it is, right? They're, they're doing something on YouTube to show how to do it yourself. But in reality, that does end up driving their business. And too many people are worried about, well, wait a minute, I charge for that. Why would I give it away for free on social media? But the reality is education is what's, is what's driving social media today. And, and it will drive engagement and it'll drive eventual business for you as well. I love that. I mean, it's just it's such a mature mind frame that you have, Austin, to understand that, you know, especially with your business. Because I know in the financial industry, if I'm not mistaken, it's not that it's regulated, but you have to be a little bit more careful on things you post and speak about, right? It's not yep. like construction, I can pretty much talk about anything, but in the financial world or maybe medical, it's a little bit, you have to kind of dodge between this a little bit. Yeah. And, and it does definitely become more difficult. And if you haven't heard already, by the way, before we post this podcast, <laughs> I have to have it approved through compliance to make sure that I didn't say something that I shouldn't say. Right. And so it does make it more difficult for me than, than most people to be active on social media, but I've been doing it long enough. You know, we recorded 112 or 113 podcast episodes and out of that, only two times has compliance told me that we that we needed to make a change. And one time it was because I used a bad word and <laughs> I was I was really re repeating what the guest had said in just a different way. But they, they didn't like that, of course. Um, it was OK that the guest said it because we can't control what the guest says. But um, and then the other time was I, I did kind of they saw it as a recommendation. I just mentioned a particular organization that may be beneficial for a business owner to look into for some aspect of their business. And they said, that's, that's a recommendation. You can't do that. And so obviously anything that I talk about has to be very generic. So, so who, who's doing the QC on that or the quality control or the compliance? Yeah. So at, as an SEC registered investment advisor, and I'm affiliated with what's called FINRA, the financial, um, regulatory authority is we, I partner with, so Landon and I own our practice, but we partner with an SEC registered RIA and broker dealer. And it's, it's somebody at the back office who reviews every single podcast that we do wow. to make sure that we're not saying something we should, shouldn't. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I mean. I mean, it's, it's so for you, it's, you, you have to be very careful, but it, despite that, this, despite, you know, that, that professionality that you have to have and that, that consideration is that you can still build on these platforms and still bring values you've done today. And it's been amazing having you on Austin. What do you do for fun outside of, outside of financial planning and all the business structure? Yeah. I love to play golf. My, my 22 year old son and I play golf together. Um, he, when he was in eighth grade, he beat me for the first time and <laughs> I've never beat him since. No way. That's um, it's, it, there's been one or two times where I've come close, but you know, the difference is he picked up a golf club at eight. I picked right. up a golf club at 23. Yeah. Right. And so his life has been very different than, than mine was growing up. My dad was a blue collar stucco contractor, yep. actually. I know you had a relation to the construction business. Yeah. And so he, uh, we just, we never played golf. I did. I'd, I'm not even sure I knew golf existed while I was growing up. And so, um, but we spent a lot of time doing that. I love to do triathlons. It's been a few years since I've actually done one. You can probably look at me and think, you know, you're a little overweight right now. You couldn't go and do a triathlon <laughs> right now. But um, I think that my, my personal belief is that triathlons are the best way to stay in shape. You know, I think CrossFit is, is actually great. A lot of people love CrossFit. I've never done it myself, but um, the the one thing that I really love about triathlons is I could actually go to the gym right now and I haven't been for a while from to swim. I go to the gym pretty regularly, but, um, swimming for me is what you get from the office. I get that from, from TV as well. It allows me to shut my brain down and, you know, kind of get ready to, to go to sleep as well. But I could swim for hours because I just have that quiet opportunity to just really think about things, whether it's, things that are going on in my business, things that are going on in my family life. I can just sit there and think forever. And before I know it, you know, you, you've swam miles because you're just, you're lost in your own thoughts. And I think that it's, it's great and it keeps your body healthy. Well, the best part is not only just that time where you're not on your phone 
you're disengaged a little bit, but you also yep. have the health factor, right? Because swimming is definitely a full body workout. And yep. anyone that's in the triathlon, I respect you a lot because I've done like some mini ones. Mm-hmm. And I was a runner in high school and I've done, you know, marathons, half marathons and stuff. But, you know, putting that all together, the biking, the running, swimming, I mean, it's uh, it, it's tough, you know, there's a lot of work behind it. So, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. When I was training for the last one, it was the Oceanside Half Ironman. And um, my training schedule actually led perfectly to do the Phoenix half marathon as, as a training run. And, you know, my time wasn't, wasn't great. It was actually bad enough that if, if you don't know this, the Phoenix half marathon and the Phoenix marathon are on the same day on the same track, but the marathoners just start at a different spot and everybody ends at the same place. And, uh, I was about a mile and a half away from the finish line and I hear over the, the loudspeaker move to the right. And I'm thinking, move to the right. What, you know, why, why do yeah, I need to move to the right? And, uh, and then all of a sudden it was move to the right elite marathoner coming through. Right. And so I'm not even finished with the half marathon. <laughs> and one of the elite marathoners passes me who started 13.1 miles behind, behind me yeah. and, and passed me about a mile and a half before the finish line. So, you know, my, my time is not great. I run a pretty slow mile overall. But my response is always, well, you got to remember that I'm running that half marathon after swimming over a mile and biking 56 miles, Yep. right? So I set my pace based on what I know I'm going to be able to do after doing those two things. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It makes sense. Well, that's amazing, Austin. So for those listening, you know, where can they find you? Yeah. I mean, we're very active on social media, YouTube, LinkedIn, Instagram at backbone planning is a great way to find us at two at tycoons of small biz is also a great way to find us. Um, I'm on LinkedIn, Austin Peterson, CFP. If you search that, you'll find me, uh, easily. And then our website, which we actually just revamped. So we'd encourage you to come and, and take a look at it. Uh, it's just backboneplanning.com. Well, it's amazing. Austin. And, and for those listening, go subscribe to tycoons of small biz. It's an amazing podcast platform that Austin has. And of course, LinkedIn, I love LinkedIn. So connect there. So thank you so much for making time today. Yeah, you bet. Thanks for having me. So thank you all for tuning into the podcast today. And just as a recap, if you check the show notes, they're just going to have all the links for the topics that we discuss. And also one of our favorite features now is the chapters that go through the conversation. So if there's certain topics you want to revisit or listen to, they're outlined by the time that we discuss those. And again, we can't thank you enough for all of your support. Please make sure and download our podcast, subscribe, Give us a five-star rating and review wherever you download your podcast.